Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining us here today. Uh, my name is Ben Philpott. I'm a senior reporter at KUT Radio here in town. I'm also lucky enough to be affiliated with uh, the Texas Tribune. On behalf of the Texas Tribune, uh, I'm very happy to welcome you to the second annual Texas Tribune Festival. Our discussion today is, uh, is light rail the answer? Joining me are three men who probably spend a lot of time thinking about that question. Uh, I'm here with Mike Martinez from the Austin City Council. He's been with the City Council, elected to the City Council since 2006. He's also chairman of the board at uh, Capital Metro, uh, the local transit authority here in Austin, uh, and that authority has been grappling with what to do with light rail for several years. Also, uh, John uh, Sedlak at the end, manager of the Rail Passenger Research at Texas, the Texas Transportation Institute at Texas A&M. He's also worked at Houston's Metro for 29 years and helped develop Metro's first light rail line. And Jesse Oliver in the middle, uh, Deputy Executive Director of the Dallas Area Rapid Transit. DART has 77 miles of light rail tracks and moved more than 22 million passengers last year. Uh, this panel is going to last about an hour. Uh, I'm going to try to get the conversation going with some questions for about 40 minutes, then we'll have some time for Q&A at the end. Uh, just like the Alamo Draft House, if you're lucky enough to have been there, I'm going to ask you to put your phones away, keep them silent, unless, of course, you want to give us some free social media publicity. Uh, so please feel free to tweet during this uh, exchange. The hashtag is TribuneFest, not TribFest, TribuneFest. Um, all right, we've got the housekeeping out of the way, so let's get going. Uh, is light rail the answer? Uh, this question, of course, uh, is the question, of course, for this is how the heck do we get people moving in our cities that, as Governor Perry likes to point out, uh, we're adding over 1,000 people a day to the state. The city infrastructure is bursting at the seams. So is light rail the answer to some of that? Um, I wanted to start and put pressure on Austin, first of all, uh, because light rail has been considered uh, over and over here in Central Texas. So why, is, why should light rail be considered as part of that answer in Central Texas? Thanks, Ben. Thank you all so much for having me. If, if you're following the hashtag, do not click on those porn links that keep coming out. Yeah. I swear, I've been trying to follow the hashtag today, and there's a problem with it. Uh, <laughs> We've been spammed, folks. I, there's nothing we can do about that, I think. <laughs> just, you know, just be careful. Uh, but give us all the publicity you want. I'm at Councilman Mike on Twitter. Um, you know, no pressure on Austin. Obviously, we have been talking about this for quite some time. Uh, you know, the premise of the workshop is, is light rail the answer? Well, it's part of the answer, and it's, it's a small component of that answer. Roads are a part of it, sidewalks, uh, bicycles. Every other mode of transportation is, is part of that answer as well. Um, but I firmly believe that expansion of our existing rail system here in Austin is a key component of that. We have a finite amount of space in our right-of-way to expand our roadways. Uh, it is extremely limited. The closer you get to the urban core, uh, it's even more limited. So we have to think differently about how we move people around. Of those thousand people that are moving to Texas a day, 89 of them are moving right here to Austin, Texas. Uh, so 89 new people, I'm sorry, per week move to Austin. That's a lot. Uh, and that's a lot of cars and that's a lot of congestion. It's no longer about if Austin's going to grow into this major metropolitan area. It's about how we do it. Moving people around, giving them uh, transportation options is extremely vital to Austin's quality of life and its, and its success. Um, but there are real legitimate logistical issues uh, and questions that must be answered. How do we fund it? Who operates it? Where does it go? Um, how does it benefit you as a community member? And those are the conversations that we've been having uh, for many years and that we'll continue to have uh, as, as some of you who are from this area know, we, we're moving for an election this November for an expansion of our rail system that has been taken off of the November ballot because, quite frankly, some of those difficult questions can't be answered, in our opinion, sufficient enough to the for the citizens to make their decisions. Um, but we'll continue those conversations. I appreciate you all having Austin here at the table. It is an important issue for us. So thank you. Now, Jesse, looking at DART, you all have had this in place for a while. Uh, has it made a difference? It's made a big difference. Uh, light rail is an essential part of a multimodal system of moving people. You can't just have one mode of uh, transit. It requires buses, trains, vans, uh, 
mobility uh, uh, vehicles, a big variety of elements are needed to make a successful system. Uh, light rail alone carries about, uh, uh, has about 37 million passenger trips a year, which is a large number of passengers. But our buses also carry about uh, 40,000 passenger rail trips a year. So you can see that there is no real trade-off in that. They complement each other to get passengers from where they are to where they need to be. Uh, you know, I think that uh, light rail is, is new to uh, the state of Texas in essence. And uh, probably some of the things that I asked today about light rail were probably asked about the Intercontinental Railroad in the 1860s, maybe the Erie Canal along before that, uh, and, and more recently even about uh, Interstate 35 when uh, it was being proposed back in the 50s. You know, there are always questions about will it work, will it do what we need it to do, is it too expensive, uh, why should we do it? Uh, and what we've come to see is that there are backside advantages not only in doing the project itself for its primary purpose, but what it delivers on the backside in terms of development of our cities, our communities, and creating access for people. You talked about it being new to the state of Texas and also being an expensive uh, endeavor. Is it hard to make the case sometimes or to explain to people the impact that it does have when, you know, especially up in Dallas, they can throw up their hands and say, well, hell, I'm still stuck on Central. Well. Uh, they're, they'd be more stuck on Central. Than right, yeah, and, but it's, it, I think that's, that's a hard case to make sometimes, that you'd be more stuck. Well, Central is a great example because uh, uh, now uh, uh, with the uh, red line running parallel to uh, North Central, uh, they can look out that window and see those trains going zipping by, oh, you, you know, <laughs> so uh, the people who are not stuck in, in traffic on Central. You know, we uh, uh, finally got uh, Central uh, 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 redone, uh, uh, that was about 2000. Uh, it was uh, 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 over capacity when it first opened, I think, in the 1950s. And uh, because of a lot of squabbling about how it should be built, uh, whether it was too expensive, and uh, taking away property uh, to expand it, uh, and they didn't want it elevated like I-35 here in Austin, that it took uh, uh, 40 years to uh, uh, expand the freeway. And uh, when it reopened uh, with all those uh, new lanes uh, uh, and extra capacity, it was after we had opened uh, the, the light rail system along North Central. And uh, there were, uh, you know, a lot of space on North Central at that time. Uh, at, but two or three years later, it was back to back to back traffic, you know. And we had our ridership as well on, on the red line uh, running parallel to it. So what happened was that new growth and development backfilled into the Central Expressway. There'll always be growth. You, you take some people off the freeway, you put them in buses, you put them on trains. Uh, but uh, as we keep, continue to grow, uh, as we issue more and more licenses to, to teenagers as they reach uh, driving age, uh, we'll fill up our freeways again. The options that we have available is a transit system, and we need to develop a, a, a multimodal transit system to enable us to continue to move to get where we need to be. So, Mr. Sedlak, you've got kind of both the practical and philosophical experience uh, in terms of this uh, with uh, your work at uh, uh, Metro and at Texas A&M. Uh, how would you grade light rail's impact in Texas? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's an evolving grade because we haven't had light rail fully in, in uh, the function that it currently has uh, until, uh, until recently with DART's uh, implementation of light rail and then uh, the expansion that they've had. And then now uh, Houston Metro having uh, its short line in place for now uh, about eight years. Uh, these, are, these are evolving systems and decisions still being made such as the decisions here in Austin. Um, these, are, these are important components. My colleagues have already said it well, that they're part of a mobility solution. They're, they're not the ultimate answer to solve every problem of uh, congestion and mobility. 
it's got to be it's got to be a part of a whole, a holistic approach of of various modes, um, and all the way down to the attention of traffic management, the ability to to uh, have our existing facilities function better, all modes. So it's 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 part of an overall solution, um, and and I say it's an evolving grade in the state of Texas. I think. Uh, Darts, Darts had, had really excellent results. Um, Houston has had excellent results with a very short line, very productive in terms of ridership and users. Uh, but you're still challenged because uh, the systems are one element of a far larger transportation system. And uh, I'd say we're making good headway, but, but we've got a long way to go. Is it a, how do you make this argument to people when you go to them and you say, we really do need to expand rail as part of an overall transit system. Do you get a lot of pushback? Do people say, no, just build another dang road? You know, we, why are we fascinated with, you know, trains, that's a Yankee thing. Uh, we want you to build us a road. Do you have a lot of that? No. No? Yeah. <laughs> no pushback Not at, at all. all. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ben, I'll come back to it. Yeah. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a basic foundation of what the transportation systems are like in our cities. Uh, the, it's a product of, of, of really the last 100 years with private vehicles really taking the lead in personal transportation in the United States. And, and the so southern and southwestern cities are a manifestation of the fact that that's been the predominant means of transportation. So when, when our cities, in fact, have been built around that means of transportation. They're structurally configured in such a way that it's in fact difficult now to reestablish public transit and even more difficult to reestablish rail transit in a structural condition that's been set up in a different way. And I'll, I'll just give you one characterization in Houston. Uh, to use public transit, you're a pedestrian at, one part, at, at the beginning and end of your trip. We lack a lot of sidewalks in our city, making efforts to put sidewalks in place, but it's very difficult to encourage a passenger to use another form of transportation when you have, have a real challenge to get there because there is no sidewalk, no place to stand under a shelter, uh, other things that would encourage you to use that as an amenity. So I think it's, it's part of the evolution of our cities, particularly in the south and southwest, from one predominant form of transportation to others. I think it's also a part of how we develop our cities. When you, when you look at how de development has evolved over several decades, you have to develop smarter today. If, if we were to, let's just take for example, those of you that know Austin, let's just use South Park Meadows as the example. Let's say we had a rail line and let's say it went to South Park Meadows. Look at how it's developed. And for those of you that don't know, South Park Meadows is probably 60 acres of parking with a bunch of retail. Um, Let's say we had light rail and it went to South Park Meadows. If you got off there, you would have to walk a mile or two just to get to two or three different stores. It still would not work for you because we're not developing appropriately. It's not just about transportation. It's about infrastructure and how you develop your communities that's going to make transportation work and vice versa, make the economy work. I think uh, many cities are, are succeeding in that. Austin is certainly taking uh, some good steps in that direction. but. There, there has to be more of it, and there has to be a better understanding of it. Sometimes the word densification really, really turns folks off. You know, I live in my little neighborhood, and the last thing I want is more cars, more apartments, more, more people. Uh, but you have to look beyond that. It's about how you maintain your quality of life, how you get people from point A to point B with using public transportation only, um, and still be able to live in an amazing city. And I think Austin can do that. Uh, Dallas, you know, we talked about we talk about where do we go to, to look at model systems, and I've been sent to Denver and San Diego and Portland. Dallas has done it, just just right up the street. You know, Dallas has an amazing system that they've been able to put in place over the last 15 to 20 years, um, and and we're striving uh, to be like Dallas. And uh, I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm very proud of what they've done. We've got to do more here in Austin, but you got to think about how you develop your cities, how you zone for that development as well. And maybe jumping off that, have you seen development change as the rail system has blossomed in Dallas or expanded in Dallas? Oh, very definitely. Uh, redevelopment in the city is a, is a key 
element uh, of the older parts of the city. And I was going to say that that uh, one aspect of, of light rail uh, is that it, it does uh, help bring life back to the inner city, so to speak. What was the city before the suburbs really grew large and sucked out uh, businesses and, and large parts of the population. And so it creates a, a, a flow back into uh, the uh, central city. Uh, and so transit-oriented ori development is now the byword. Uh, we discovered that uh, uh, with what is known as the Mockingbird Station when a uh, developer came in from out of town, out of state, and uh, bought some AT&T uh, warehouses and uh, started to, the development and uh, actually came to us and, and said that if, uh, if he paid for it, uh, could he run a bridge uh, to our station? And of course, we uh, jumped with joy and said, please do. And uh, it is like the uh, landmark uh, of TOD uh, in the Dallas area. And it, people come from all over just to see it and how it works with uh, uh, residential housing, retail, banking, offices, the whole smear right there to, to, together. And, uh, and, and again, it was just a warehouse district. Uh, so uh, there, there's a lot of advantages to uh, light rail development, or rail development in and of itself. Around the stations, you get redevelopment. Uh, there has been like an eight to one return on uh, uh, the public dollars invested in light rail uh, by the private sector in terms of redevelopment around the stations and things like that. Where does, uh, uh Money obviously plays a large role in this. Where does how you get that money play a role in whether or not uh, you look for expanding a road or you look to expand a rail system? And I guess my question is, state government doesn't have much money at all to give anyone to build new roads. Um, are there more federal opportunities or more outside opportunities to find matching funds for rail systems right now? And does that make it more uh, enticing? Definitely, uh, you know, DART is, is funded uh, by a one cent sales tax in 13 cities, so uh, that generates a substantial uh, amount of money uh, for us, about 70% uh, of, of our total budget. Uh, the rest comes from, uh, 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 the rest comes from fare box recovery and uh, then from uh, uh, federal programs that uh, we get assistance from. But if you're gonna do a, a light rail program like uh, Austin is looking at doing, then uh, you follow the federal guidelines, you apply for the New Starts program, and you uh, get that support, uh, which can uh, range up to 50, 60% of the cost of uh, that system. And uh, so there's a lot of support in terms of developing those types of projects because the nation has recognized the importance of rail service. And these programs have been going on now for uh, almost 30 years uh, and, and was a big reason why uh, uh, DART was able to develop what it has because of uh, the support from the federal government. I'll add to Jesse's comments here that uh, we're all going to be challenged with, with funding over the coming years and, and, and have, have so in just the last, let's say, 10 years. Um, Federal government has its limitations as to what they can provide, but that is a source. Uh, I think it's in, in incredibly important that the local community uh, does buy into the fact that uh, there needs to be a, a, another option, another alternative, and it's looked at as, a, again, a holistic approach to uh, transportation and mobility. So um, the creation of the local sales tax and then the ability to provide that uh, funding mechanism, and just as in Dallas, uh, Houston has a 1% sales tax, uh, a fourth of that sales tax, though, goes to street and road improvements. And so part of the effort is can you leverage with the other governmental institutions, the city, the county, other cities within the region, can you leverage some of their activities so that if you're going to be making it a transit improvement, the city, the county, and other municipalities are focusing some of their resources so you're leveraging a transit investment. So I think we have to look at every tool, bonding capacity, uh, public-private partnerships, if there's an opportunity to bring uh, 
some private money to the table. It's difficult, but, but uh, there's po still possible. But I think you've got to look at every opportunity to leverage your local funds to get the most for it. Mike, do you think there's a difference between buy-in in Austin and, and Dallas? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, comparing today, Dallas, with today's Austin, you bet, because of what they've been able to do. But I think that what we're facing here in Austin is no different than what Dallas or Houston faced in terms of initial startup, getting that community support. Uh, for those of you that aren't from Austin, we had an election in 2000 for a circulation urban type system. It failed by 1,500 votes. Um, and I you, could talk. You're saying you, you feel like the city's been playing catch up ever we, since. We were set back decade, a decade at least, because of that vote. Um, and I could talk all day about how it went down and why it went down and all this stuff. Bottom line is, it set us back tremendously. We came back in 2004. But when you talk about, and, and, and what I'm segueing into, is you talk about the local community matching or somehow putting some skin in the game. What we did in 2004 is we took an existing freight line that we owned. So we had skin in the game. We had property that we owned, Cap Metro owned. And we said, okay, for $90 million, we'll build a 32-mile commuter line on existing right-of-way, on existing rail that we already own. We were able to get that passed. Um, and we took our first step into rail. Uh, I arguably will say it's, it's successful, but it's finite. It goes from point A to point B. It's very difficult to expand, but it's at capacity. Um, that was our skin in the game for that round. This round, we're talking about substantially more, $550 million for five and a half miles of urban rail. That's pretty expensive when you just spent $90 million on 32 miles of commuter, but they're not the same. The difference in passengers is 2000 a day on commuter rail and 22000 a day on urban rail. Um, so it's, in my mind, it's worth the investment. But you have to have that local commitment. What we're contemplating is potentially $250 million of that being bonded by the citizens of Austin and then hopefully a match from the federal government for the other $250 million. That to me is, and we may even put some conditions on the ballot that say you won't be indebted, citizens of Austin, if you vote for this unless we get this match at 50% uh, or more. And it's a way of assuring folks that if you commit, we're telling you that we're not going to move forward until we get another substantial commitment from the federal government as well. You know, none of this uh, is easy in terms of uh, establishing and building a, a transit system. Uh, in, in the Dallas area, as the, in 1978, uh, uh, leadership in, in the North Texas area proposed a, a transit system that would have been called Lone Star Rail, which would have uh, covered Lone Star Transit, which would have covered uh, uh, 12 counties in that area and developed a system for the future. It would have been an integrated system uh, for the future. Uh, it failed terribly uh, once uh, the referendum went before the voters. Uh, in 83, uh, uh, they, the city of Dallas and uh, Dallas County uh, went back to the legislature and got authorization for a smaller uh, agency that covered Dallas County and, and contin contiguous cities. Uh, that legislation passed and uh, so Dallas Area Rapid Transit was created. But uh, in 1988, DART uh, proposed a referendum for bonded indebtedness to build a 130-mile rail system while operating uh, the, the bus system and everything else, or the, the other components. Failed terribly. Uh, DART then went back to the drawing boards and said, well, we'll, we'll develop a starter rail system uh, on a pay-as-you-go basis. Opened that starter rail system in 1996 and in 2000, we proposed a uh, bond referendum for $2.1 billion to do nothing but build the rest of the system faster. It passed with 78% uh, with a 78% margin. And it was simply because people came to recognize what they had and what the advantages were of a good, solid transit system. And so it's not easy. But taking the steps will get you there, and the public will recognize the advantages. I'll, I'll add to what Jesse's just outlined in Houston. Uh, rail planning and transit planning has been 
uh, sometimes described as a compact, a, a, a combat sport uh, <laughs> or a blood sport. Um, it's, it's gone on for better part of 35 going on 40 years and the citizens in, in Harris County, uh, Houston area will face their seventh transit referendum here in November. Uh, this one dealing with the continuation of, of, of mobility funds. But um, Houston went through uh, really uh, incredible battles. Um, uh, the, the considerations of a, of a true rapid transit system back in the 70s, uh, which was turned down, then the creation of the agency and establishment of sales tax was approved in 79. In 83, a bond issue was put forward to start the construction of a heavy rail mass transit system, subway and elevated lines, and it was resoundingly defeated, about 80% in opposition to the bond referendum. Uh, so it was, as Jesse said, back to the drawing board for Houston, and uh, some, some five years later, another referendum put before the voters, this time creating a light rail system, passed. Uh, by, a, by a significant majority, but again, a, a, an effort of, of, of diverting some funds towards street and road construction. So it was an effort to sort of balance what the agency was doing. Uh, then efforts uh, to stop light rail construction because we had uh, an effort to, to begin a small piece as a demonstration piece of, of light rail as a collector and distributor network at a, uh, at a reasonable cost of, in this case, $350 million um, to, to build seven miles. But we put it in the right place. It had to be done with local funds because federal law was written to restrict not even a single dollar of federal money could be provided to the city of Houston Harris County's transit uh, agency for rail. Uh, that, that, that program succeeded. Uh, another referendum led to an acceptance of a broader 70-mile a broader, uh, system, which another 17 miles is under construction today. And uh, this will go on. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an evolving process. I, I think we're, we have the challenges that we have to meet and also provide a really a quality level of service that will, will uh, suggest to all the citizens this is worth having. This is worth investing in because we're investing for the, for our future the next 30, 40, 50 years and beyond. How is, is that argument uh, of this really will help, this is beneficial, is that, is it difficult to make without a success somewhere on the books? And of course you can't necessarily, I, I think with light rail you can't necessarily have a giant success unless you've got a network that actually really starts transporting a lot of people. And you were saying you're 2,000 a day and it's at capacity, but then going back for 500 million uh, uh, for a very short system, I think some people, public perception might be, well, wait a minute, we're only doing 2,000 a day, so why should we expand on this? H how do you battle that? I think my experience is that you have to manage expectations and what is success to one is not going to be to another. And so you have to be leery of using that terminology and if you use it, be very clear about what that means to you. There are some folks that put a litmus test that says uh, things like rail must pay for themselves. Right. They shouldn't be subsidized. Well, not a single highway in this country has ever paid for itself. That's why it's called public transportation. Not a single fire department or police department has ever paid for themselves. We have to invest in them. So it depends on how you frame it and how you structure that, that terminology to determine whether or not success is actually achieved. To those 2,000 people that use the red line every day, it's a major success. They are not in their cars. They are getting where they need to be, um, and they're getting to work and getting home every day. Um, so I think it's just about managing those expectations and being very careful of your language use because you'll get caught up in that because people will be opposed to uh, potential investments that they don't see benefiting them. If we have a plan that doesn't even look like it's going towards the southwestern part of Austin, how do I go out there and campaign and ask them to vote for something that we're not even contemplating bringing service to your area, but yet we're asking you to pay for this? You're going to have to have a comprehensive plan that, that meets their expectations as well. Uh, just really try to balance that conversation. Regarding, uh, uh opposition uh, to, to people who, who say, I'm not going to use uh, 
transit. I'm not going to ride the bus. I'm not going to ride the train. I'm going to stay in my car, my truck, or whatever. Uh, I say, uh, well, you know, if, uh, for every person that's on transit, that's one less car in front of you, you know. So uh, you take, we actually take people out of the tra traffic pattern, put them on a train, on a bus, and it does open up the, the traffic on the uh, roads and freeways. Now, there's always filling, uh, backfilling, as I said before, that new people are moving in, people are buying cars, they're driving, and so the freeways will get crowded again. Uh, but will it be as crowded with transit available as it would be without it? Ben, one of the items I'll add to this discussion is uh, what we see happening in, in our cities time after time is this debate over a technology. Should it be monorail? Should it be uh, a people movers, uh, light rail, commuter rail, diesel multiple units, bus rapid transit, uh, regular bus service? Well, again, this is uh, something that has to be looked at in how do we, how do we improve every aspect of a transit system that is also improving an overall mobility system. And transit managers today have to be viewed as, uh, need to view themselves as mobility managers because uh, they're part of a larger transportation system. And the technology debate over rail also leads into, well, you're ignoring the bus system. And you can't ignore the bus system. You've got to do everything you can with it. Uh, improve its operation, improve its ability to, to flow within traffic and gain the, the best advantages it can to be an attractive alternative to the other modes, particularly private transportation. So you, it's, a, it's a delicate balance that has to take place and you really have to give full consideration to every aspect of your operation of your, of your public transit system and make sure it's fully integrated and a part and parcel of a well-functioning mobility system in a region, in these growing regions. We have to do everything we can. We're not going to be able to build ourselves out of congestion. We've got to work smart and utilize every single tool we can in the best and most effective way we can. I'm glad you brought up the technology debate because I actually wanted to ask a little bit more about uh, rapid bus. Austin's broken ground on its first rapid bus. It is going to have some dedicated lanes. It'll have the ability to, to get light priority. So where is the, um, uh, if it's successful, why not do it instead of spend money to lay tracks? Expand it instead of lay money, put down uh, well, money to lay tracks. Sure, and it's, again, it's how you define success. Uh, one reason why you would use light rail over bus rapid transit is capacity. Uh, the capacity dramatically increases on a rail system as opposed to a bus system. But cost is another argument where you could certainly argue that the cost effectiveness, effectiveness of bus rapid transit is much more efficient use of taxpayer dollars for certain corridors. That's what's happening in Austin to North Lamar, Burnett Road, and then South Lamar and South Congress. We just broke ground yesterday on our bus rapid transit project. It's a $46 million project, which would probably cost $5 billion if we did it with uh, light rail. Hmm. It's costing $46 million with uh, bus rapid transit, but they're 60-foot articulating buses. They have signal prioritization. Uh, they don't stop as frequently as regular bus stops, so you'll get to from point A to point B, hopefully at, at a much more efficient rapid pace. Um, and it is much more cost effective. But in those corridors specifically, it would be just way too expensive to even contemplate something like uh, an urban rail project at this time because of the lack of density and the cost of the project. Does it help you make the argument later for light rail? If you say see how well this rapid bus uh, system has worked. We can increase capacity. We can maybe even get you there a little more quickly if we institute light rail. I, I think it will, I'm not sure that it'll help you make an argument, but it'll certainly help you present data, data as to passenger use and demand and how that would connect with an urban rail system and therefore you, you know, expand the capacity through your urban rail and, and other modes even fixed route services. Normal fixed route services will increase in demand because you'll have more folks using uh, the bus rapid transit. So it's, it's all part of, like John said, that full uh, transit system. 
uh, and it certainly helps when you increase ridership on, on the different modes. What's next for uh, Dart Light Rail? We will uh, open uh, a, a new segment uh, in December, two new segments in December, uh, extensions of our blue line from Garland to Rowlett and uh, an extension from uh, the Irving Las Colinas uh, Urban Center to uh, Beltline Road on the way to DFW Airport. Uh, we just opened that orange line uh, this past uh, July 30th, so uh, that'll be the second and third phases, be at DFW Airport in 2014. Uh, and uh, we continue to, to develop uh, other projects uh, in cooperation with the COG and the other two transit agencies in the area. We're examining means of trying to finance a, uh, what amounts to a 62-mile corridor that DART owns. Uh, uh, across the uh, crest of the uh, Metroplex uh, uh, from the east side all the way into uh, downtown Fort Worth uh, as a commuter rail line and it passes a mile at most from DFW Airport would have a connector to DFW Airport so uh, DFW Airport is now building the uh, uh, building the light rail station and the uh, commuter rail station at together as one part for that future development. Do you get to a point where you're no longer looking at how you move people around just within Dallas, but it, it just does become how do you get people to Denton and Plano and I know you already got a line to Denton. But. Well, we don't have a line to Denton. Well, we, there's, we, you have we a connector. Have, we, yeah, we have a relationship with Denton as we, as we do with the Fort Worth Transportation Authority. Uh, Denton, of course, uh, started its uh, 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 commuter rail system uh, uh, a year ago using the, the Stadler vehicle, same as the vehicle you use here, and uh, they run from, from Denton down to our Carrollton station where uh, passengers debark from their commuter rail onto our light rail system and come on into the uh, uh, DART system completely. Uh, and uh, mentioning the partnership we have in the area what we call a uh, regional fare. And so a person who buys a, a ticket on uh, any one of the systems, the uh, regional fare ticket on any one of the systems has access to uh, the other systems. So for uh, the cost of a ride from Denton to Dallas, you get to use the, the, the DART system or go on to Fort Worth and, and use the Fort Worth system as well. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I think your question was really about uh, cities that are not participating in the transit system, uh, did not opt to, to vote in and assess themselves the tax. Uh, they're all now interested, very interested in, in transit. They see what the benefits are of having uh, transit, especially rail and what has the development that has occurred around the rail stations. And so there's a real effort now to figure out, try to figure out how can we do this. Uh, earlier this year, we did a pilot project with uh, the city of Mesquite, which is right on the edge of, of Dallas. And uh, of all things, the, uh, 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 in 1983, the uh, referendum in Mesquite to join the Transit Authority failed by less than 20 votes. But that's another issue. But, but today, the mayor and the council are very interested in trying to figure out a way that they can connect into the uh, Dallas system. So we entered into an agreement with them for an express bus where they pay us uh, the cost of operating that bus plus overhead. So they, uh, basically, they eat all the expenses of that uh, uh, system, plus uh, riders on the system uh, pay uh, a $4 fee uh, for their fare plus a $3 access fee to use our system. So they're essentially paying $7 to be ferried from Mesquite to our rail station where they then access our system and, and are able to use it. Uh, that uh, compares today with an uh, uh, in-service area uh, rider who would pay $4 for a day pass. So there's a lot of momentum. We're talking to a lot of cities about it. And you may be surprised that uh, uh, even uh, Tyler, which is 90 miles away, uh, trying to figure out how to uh, connect into 
the Dallas system so that uh, they can uh, uh, get their people into Dallas and on to DFW Airport. Maybe our next phase should be to hook up to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll meet you halfway. Meet you in Waco. Uh, well, and, and so, John, I mean, this, is, this discussion is supposed to be focused on light rail, but when you look across the state, what's the push like? What's the chances of, of getting more rapid rail between the big cities as opposed to, you know, building larger segments of I-35? Sure. It's... Uh, Again, uh, planning is, is, is being conducted and looking at how do you, how do you connect uh, Texas's urban centers together. And, and we have a unique situation where our big urban centers are, are, are within a 250 mile distance of one another. It's, it's uh, an interesting um, situation where uh, high growth occurring, um, how do we best how do we best serve long term trip making from uh, from these uh, urban centers one to another be it Dallas to the Austin and San Antonio area or Houston to Dallas or Houston to San Antonio and uh, plans are being uh, put together uh, under under TxDOT uh, as as they're examining the basis of should we have and and when should we have intercity improved passenger rail uh, uh, in put in place. We have it today uh, from Houston to San Antonio uh, three trips a week uh, in the form of Amtrak. It's pretty hard to encourage a big market to shift to that. Um, and and one, of the, one of the problems we have is that Amtrak shares the trackage with our freight railroads and right now the freight railroad business is, is booming. Uh, with movements of freight around around the country, they're resistant to give up that track space for passengers. Uh, so the next step is: Do you do significant improvements to the existing trackage, or do you build new trackage with the ability to run at far higher performance standards, over 100 miles per hour, or even 200 miles per hour? Um, every increment of speed has a significant change in capital cost though. Uh, and uh, the cost to do these with, with, with rail transportation is very high. Uh, the current studies that will go, go under place or go underway here in the next couple of years and then even some private sector proposals that are being brought forward may answer this question. If, uh, if Texas is right at this point in time to add this additional component of a high performance passenger rail system to connect our large urban areas. But this, I think everybody can agree to, is that uh, we have our, our areas that are continuing to expand in population. The Dallas-Fort Worth area will get up towards 10 million in the next 20 years. Houston-Galveston will, will be in that same range in another 20, 25 years. Uh, San Antonio and, and Austin almost growing together. Uh, these are big regions. They support a lot of trip making. What means are we going to provide as transportation planners and developers uh, to, to, to best affect the, the, these movements in the future? Those, those are the challenges we face. And everyone has to figure out how they've got their, how they can put their local skin in the game. That's where Absolutely. you got to mm -hmm. start. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that uh, I'll about do it for any, all the questions I have. Uh, if you all have questions, please uh, step up to one of the mics, uh, state your name, where you're from. Um, also, uh, uh, you know, to help us get to as many questions as possible, please limit your comments and, and try to get right onto the question. But uh, anyone at all want to kick us off? <laughs> no? No? Oh, there's somebody moving. Yeah, come on down. Um, I'm actually a University of Houston student, and I'm seeing the expansion of the light rail up close. Do you think that Austin will take that lead and try to expand the rail in the way that Houston is with its light rail? Yeah, that, that's currently what, we've, what we are discussing is uh, an urban core circulation system. Um, and, and that was where we were headed for a potential November election, but we've pushed that off um, for, for about two years, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, 
quite frankly, because of cost and because of other issues that are that have been raised. Um, but no doubt, you know, it, in my opinion, it can't happen soon enough. We have to have as many uh, options available to us in terms of public transportation. And I would love to see Austin take that step uh, towards an urban rail circulation system. Uh, but it is very expensive. It will take some time. Even if we were to pass it in a couple of years, it probably wouldn't be up and running until 2020, the first phase. So it takes patience, time, uh, and a lot of effort. But yes, we're moving that way. I just have one more question. Uh, a lot of students complain, and you know, not just students, people complain about the inconvenience of you know, the building, the construction. I was interested in what Mr. Sedlak would have to say to those people who complain about that. Sure, I, I, it's a major uh, consideration when you're going through an improvement of transportation, be it a, a, a rail project or a road project. Uh, you don't rebuild a freeway without having some major impacts to an entire region because of the way trips are made and use a transportation facility. It's like uh, trying to do a, uh, a heart transplant. Um, you gotta keep the, the, the patient alive and you gotta keep them functioning. And, and this is a really tough situation to come into dense urban centers and uh, make changes to all the utilities which are uh, going to be impacted by a transportation project going to have major impacts there, going to impact businesses. You're going to impact their livelihoods. And I, I think what all of the, the transit agencies are, are learning through this effort of putting new transportation systems in place, and it's a lesson learned in Houston. What we've tried to put into place is a, uh, a business assistance program, something where the business community can uh, have some financial assistance because their businesses are going to be affected uh, while that construction takes place. Another aspect of this is how do you get in and do the project fast? Um, and these things take time, particularly the underground work, but um, if you can get in and, and, and do things in a, in a very organized fashion and maybe approach the construction of light rail as you come into a major intersection, Rather than that intersection construction taking six months, you plan it so that you do it in one weekend. And some of that is being utilized in Houston today, and I think it's essential. It's the only way you can go in and put these new systems in place because they have significant impacts as you do it. But the positive side will hopefully uh, far exceed those in inconveniences and impacts. There was an issue in 2000, I think, with the Austin Rail. One of the tracks was going to go down Congress Avenue Bridge, is that That's right? That's correct. It and was about dis disrupting businesses for, uh, I think it was projected at 18 months. I, that's 12 years ago now. But it was a significant amount of time to where the businesses along Congress Avenue couldn't find themselves supporting it because they didn't feel like they would survive the construction phase of the rail project. Um, so they kind of felt like they were voting against their own best interests, even though they knew once rail was opened, if they could survive, it would be really good for them. They weren't willing to take that risk, and many of them opposed it. Uh, most of the conversation that we've heard on the financing of these facilities has focused on local bond elections and a regional uh, 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 components of government. Uh, my question uh, is, what role does the great state of Texas have <laughs> in this, if any? You notice there's no state officials on this panel? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, the, uh, <laughs> it's uh, local funding. Uh, the uh, major metropolitan areas, uh, uh, Houston, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, El Paso uh, generally uh, uh, finance their uh, own transit systems. Uh, the state does support the uh, smaller communities uh, uh, with, with some transit, uh, limited transit funding uh, for special needs, but uh, the state does not really participate in, in transit. It's very minimal other than uh, programs like uh, John's here. <laughs> Well, it, 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 it's a good, good question um, because these uh, programs are expensive. How do you, how do you fund them? Um, 
Jesse's mentioned the local government's uh, contribution in terms of local sales tax or local municipalities. Um, but I know the state, uh, again, I talked about various modes. You can't ignore other modes. And, and, the, and the fact in, in Houston was that uh, we had great cooperation with the state government, with TxDOT, because we built a 100-mile system of high-occupancy vehicle lanes that were primarily uh, designed for the use by transit vehicles. And the skin in the game by, by TxDOT was a significant amount of, of, of use of right-of-way which was purchased by, by the state and an understanding that uh, the state had to work together with local agencies if they were going to do an overall improvement of transportation. So I, th I think TxDOT is very much focused on their role as, as not being um, not, not dependent and focused on one mode but they've got to look at every mode of transportation and uh, get the most effective use out of every element. So it, their, their contribution may come up in, in different ways other than purely a financial way. But and if they could find if they do finance one thing like helping improvements on I thirty five or something, that's money that the local transit authority can ship. I mean, it, it all works Correct. together. I guess. Correct. If you can get the again the synergistic effects of tying together a transit component with a highway component and done in such a way that it's a really a partnership project. Yeah, I uh, I, I should uh, say also that that uh, TxDOT uh, and DART. Uh, uh, work together on HOV lanes in, in Dallas, and uh, uh, DART has operated and policed those HOV lanes. We paid 20% of the cost of developing them, uh, but uh, uh, this year, TxDOT has offered to take over the operation, policing, and maintenance of uh, those uh, uh, lanes uh, at uh, no cost to us, that is, at we would get to keep the budget dollars that we had been spending on operating and maintaining the uh, uh, HOV lines. What advice, what advice would you give to communities as they look toward making those types of transit investments? You have DART, which has 72 miles of light rail. I think it's the largest system in our country, and you have about 50,000, I believe, riders per day or trips per day. And then Houston, 7.5 miles, much smaller system, but almost has more than half of that ridership, you know, 30, 31,000. So how does a community pick the right investment for that? I'll start with the answer. I think the community's got to get engaged in the, in the discussion, and uh, I think the community has been engaged in the discussion here in Austin, from what I'm aware. Um, they've, they've also got to get stake in the game. And, and in the example in Houston, again, was a short uh, line looked at that it could demonstrate how, in fact, that particular form of mass transit could function. Uh, the stakeholders uh, came together in the form of a coalition. Uh, we had a situation where downtown uh, our central business district had its stakeholders. Our medical center had its stakeholders. These are large employment zones that were being connected by this light rail line and then an area in between the two called Midtown. And uh, we have a fortunate situation. We have four universities that are right along the same corridor. Well, the primary stakeholders, the leaders of those organizations, came together, again with citizens, an interactive process of a, a coalition of supporters. And when an examination was done of the alternatives that we could choose, uh, a no-action alternative, a better bus alternative, or bus rapid transit alternative, or a light rail alternative, uh, it was the stakeholder community that made the decision more so than the transit agency. They, they came forward because they were engaged in the process. And I, what I say is uh, that effort of process was more important than the plan. You have to engage the community in a very, very interactive way because they are a part and parcel of whatever decision gets made. Okay, uh, Randy Bear from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, so I heard a presentation on DART about two years ago. One of your people came down to San Antonio and talked. And one of the key decisions that he said you guys made about 15 years ago was acquiring the right-of-way, a lot of right-of-way along the thing, so you were able to build the system out along those lines. San Antonio, we're in a situation where we're playing around with the whole concept. Um, we have no right of way. The best that we can do is put streetcars on streets. 
Um, and we're also at a challenge from a financing standpoint. You guys get one, you know, one cent a dollar, we get a half a cent a dollar, and we're about to max out our tax rate. Are we in a situation where really we're just playing with it? We're just not going to be really see the benefits that you guys go with. I mean, is streetcar really even considerable a light rail or even an, an option along these lines? Uh, you know, the uh, streetcar is clearly uh, 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 an option. Uh, all the different modes of rail uh, are basically technical uh, aspects, and they do different things uh, for different areas and meeting the needs of a particular area. D today, uh, we're in the process of developing a, a streetcar connector for the city of Dallas uh, uh, because they want to connect one of their uh, uh, developing areas, uh, entertainment, restaurant area, to the downtown area. So they've uh, asked us to develop that for them. It's a very specialized need. They have a, a program for a circulator that uh, will create a circulator system in, in downtown Dallas. The systems do different things, and so uh, it's what the needs are and what uh, mode fits that need. Uh, in terms of uh, railroad right-of-way, we were fortunate uh, uh, with DART in that um, at, at the time that the railroads were, were shrinking and uh, uh, shedding off right away, trying to uh, maximize any kind of equity they could. Uh, we were relatively cash rich and uh, start, started buying the right of way. Uh, and so, uh, uh, we like to say that we're the largest landowner in Dallas County, and the problem is it's a, a strip that's 50 foot wide. You know? <laughs> but uh, but uh, acquiring the right-of-way was a good thing for us back then. Now, we do own some right-of-way we can't use, and, and it's hike and bike trails and things like that. But it, it did put us in a position that when we started developing the, the rail system, we had the right-of-way then, and we were able to just simply go out and work in our own right-of-way. Uh, for systems that don't have a right-of-way, that's a new cost that is built into the project cost, and it just means that you're, you're, you're paying more at this point in, in time. So it's not a matter of, of not having acquired right-of-way in, in the past. It's really a cost of right-of-way today. And uh, in essence, that that's the issue about right-of-way. I think we actually do have time for one more quick, if you just want to say it from there. Uh, two words, hard work. <laughs> it, it's it's going to take just a continuous effort to uh, partner with the other governments that each of the governments in, the, in these areas may have different responsibilities. Um, but, if, but if you can um, bring those governments together or the leadership uh, of, of the governments and then the technical folks that head up the public works groups and um, really gain a partnership attitude that all this has to work together um, ultimately you'll achieve success maybe in small pieces and larger and larger successes and then it becomes a way of doing business so it's hard work the other thing I'll add to that real quickly is when you go forward for funding um, try to create a broad funding package that speaks to those various issues and priorities Someone once said to me, someone that has a bunch of priorities has no priorities at all. And I absolutely disagree with that because you have a community that has so many competing interests and needs that you have to try to address the many priorities that are out there. Rail is one, but hike and bike trails and sidewalks and road infrastructure are another. Create those packages for funding where you can create the coalitions that John was talking about to bring the community together to say, we want to support this because I may not be 100% supportive of rail, 
but I am supportive of finishing our sidewalk infrastructure. I am supportive of more bike lanes, so I'm going to overall vote for that package. I think that's important. Um, some people see it as playing games. I don't. I think it's really trying to get everyone's priority at the table and take as big a bite out of that as you can. Well, that's the end of this today. Uh, thanks so much for coming out to this panel. Please enjoy the rest of your day here at uh, the Texas Tribune Festival. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Ben, thanks. Thanks so much. Jesse, great to see you. Good job.